Shalom, everyone. This is Dina Dye with Returning to Eden, and I have with me my special co-host, Jeff Morton. Hi, Jeff. Hi. Hi, Dina. Hi, everybody. I hope everyone's doing well. We're excited about the show tonight. Um, a quick reminder, next week at the same time, we're going to be doing an hour show with Chris Green. And um, it's going to be very interesting because we're going to be dealing with health issues. And uh, Chris has written a book kind of tied the human body to the letters, the ancient Hebrew letters. And um, he, he's got some good stuff in that book, and we're going to cover a lot of ground. So, again, next week uh, at 7 Mountain Time for one hour. 6 so o'clock Pacific. Six Pacific, okay. It's right. Pacific or Pacific, no. Okay, and yeah. then uh, uh, 9 o'clock, is that right? 9 o'clock. 9 o'clock on coast, the East Coast. East yes. Coast Flor for you Florida folks, etc. Uh, so before we get into our topic tonight, we're going to talk about image bearing and, and the corrupt image of Adam and things related to the garden in that, in that sense. But I really want to talk to Jeff because we haven't actually had this discussion about his... Uh, uh, debut on the Rush Limbaugh show. So bear with us because Rush Limbaugh is a mainstay in our home. It has been for almost since its inception. And uh, we listen to him a lot. We have Rush baby daughters and Rush baby granddaughters. So Jeff uh, managed to get himself on the show and uh, he made Rush laugh and and he he said some great stuff and he was very eloquent. People Loved it, and Rush loved it, which was probably the best. So, Jeff, tell me about that. How did you get on that? Well, it's really, um, it was kind of humbling, actually, because afterwards, I went to his website. There's like 57,000 people <laughs> have listened to the interview that I did wow. with him, and I was like, whoa. Uh, I'm just driving that? to work, and I thought I'd listen to Rush. I don't listen to him as much as I used to. Uh, but I turned him on, and he was hitting a lot of the uh, flashpoints of everything that I believe uh, when it comes to the political arena and just common sense. And uh, I was getting excited. I mean, I had inflection in my car, was, you know. <laughs> so I thought, I'm going to try to call. And I went, nah, I've been trying to call for 25 years. <laughs> yeah, really. <laughs> I'll try one more time. And lo and behold, the phones rang. Wow. It's almost always a busy signal. Yeah, yeah, of course. So I thought, well, it rang five, six times, ten times, and I thought, okay, watch, I've dialed the wrong number, but I looked at my phone, and I'm driving. Uh, I got my headphones on, and Snurdly answered the phone. Now, if you, if you rush people yep. who, who know who he is, he's the screener, and the guy Rush is always talking to you, but... Uh, he said, hi, what's your name? You need to pull over because uh, all I can hear is road noise. So I pulled oh. over. So I'm sitting on the side of the freeway <laughs> waiting for this conversation to take place. And he says, uh, just get to your point. Talk, I don't want to hear about your history and how long you've been listening. Just get to your point about Donald Trump's speech in uh, Poland and uh, let Rush take it from there. I said, okay. Forty minutes later. Oh, you sat on the roadside for no, forty I, I actually started driving, okay. and I ended up in the in my parking lot at work. And I got in the parking lot, and about ten minutes into the parking lot, uh, Rush said, "Hey, let's take our first call from Seattle." And by now, listening to him for another forty minutes. Yeah, yeah. But he was talking about things that I value across the board. So now I'm really amped up. I'm excited. I'm excited that I 
got through. I'm excited that I'm actually talking to him, and I have uh, great respect for him. Uh, but anyway, the the uh, conversation went beautifully. He said, "I you made my day," and and uh, I recorded it. There's snippets of it on my YouTube page, but. Uh, it, it, it's, it was fun. There were people from across the country yep. who were calling me going, because I have a lot of people across the country that I know, and they're going, were you just on the Rush Limbaugh show? <laughs> so I, you don't realize the power that right. that golden microphone has. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, so it was kind of fun, and my my whole family is conservative, uh, my, my immediate siblings. And my mom and my brothers, my my younger brother, who's a pastor, he called and said, wow, that was amazing. So anyway, it was a lot of fun, and I was glad to do it. And, um, well, I mean, we it was loved fun. listening. We just, yeah. you know, when we found out, we raced to the computer to listen, and we are like, yeah. <laughs> I was so jazzed. I thought, this, this is the greatest thing since sliced bread. I well, actually see, know someone who got through. <laughs> Oh, I never thought about it like that. Yeah. There's no celebrity for me, guys. It was really kind of humbling after the fact, but I was glad to do it. And what we talked about, you know, the the what I started learning back in 1980 was the lies that we had inherited through the media. Right. Uh, way back then. So I started doing my own research, and I learned that the Democrat Party financed the Ku Klux Klan, and all, I, I learned so much history that uh, <clears throat> made me understand that it was actually white people across the board fighting tooth and nail the Democrat Party to end slavery. Yeah. And uh, there was a handful of political leaders that the nation had to fight in order to end slavery. So That's that right. was a light that came on and has been on for 40 years. And... Uh, I got to talk to Rush and thank him for for uh, just confirming what I learned. And so it was a lot of fun, a lot of fun. Oh, and I, I'm very political people. In yeah. fact, I wanted to go into politics, and I just don't feel like the fathers led me in that direction. Uh, <clears throat> but I'm very political. I'm very conservative. I'm a biblical conservative, not a, um, a uh, I don't know. I'm not, not a rhino. A okay, yeah, I'm not a right. rhino. <laughs> and you know. I, yeah, and just for the record, for all of you folks out there who really want to know me, hell would be frozen and Satan would be begging for a blanket before I vote for a Democrat. Just so you know, I want to make sure you're clear on that, okay? <laughs> Have a nice day. Gee, and it's becoming I, that way with the Republican Party as well. Anyway. It could have uh, been a little clearer, but... Um, returning <laughs> to, to Eden. Eden. Yeah, is the so, heart of my life, yes. Our, yeah, well, okay, I appreciate okay. that. Yeah, we have a good time here, folks, you can tell. <laughs> and we don't want to be, we don't want to take ourselves too seriously. Yes, so absolutely. thanks for sharing that. So I thought, uh, you know, we're going to talk a little bit about Adam and image bearing. And, you know, I know people understand that God placed Adam in the garden and he was in his image and likeness. He was the image bearer, basically, of God. So he, he, he didn't look like God in a physical sense. And I'll talk about that in just a second. But he was to uh, be the image of God in the world and then to reflect back 
God to from creation to God. All the praises of creation. So in the ancient world, they would put uh, the deity would be, you know a house would be built, a temple would be would be built, and a living image of the deity would go into the temple. Now that living image was generally the king, and so that image would be filled with the essence of who the deity was. Now, if there was no king, let's say he was, you know, off in foreign lands or whatever and the temple was going to be empty, then they would make an image of the god and it would be made out of, you know, wood or stone or precious metals, etc. And so this I I I found it very interesting um Actually, and I, I shared this with Ryan, too, because I think, well, he probably had it figured out before me. But this idea of making this image of gold reminded me of when the children of Israel out in the wilderness, of course, and Moses is up on top of the mountain, right? right. And he's, you know, tete-a-tete with God in the cloud. And the folks are down below at the foot of the mountain. Now, remember, mountains are temples, and, and we are in the at the bottom of the mountain. <coughs> And they're like, "Where's he? Where is this guy? Where is Moses? He's gone, and we don't know where he went." And so, I think that relates to this idea of when there's no king in the house, they would build an image of gold or wood. And I think that is the reason why they made the image of the golden calf because their king, Moses, was nowhere to be found. He was, of course, in the presence of God. So. Uh, you know, we have all the repercussions from that. But the the king, when he was in the house, uh, that was the place from which he ruled and reigned. And so, in he was to bring, he was to maintain order. He was to maintain the creation. He was to bring stability, peace, order, rest to that sphere. And he was to to prevent chaos from coming in. And he was what he ruled. He brought prosperity and blessing and righteousness and justice to the kingdom in which he ruled and so without the king of course all those things this idol image there that idol image can't bring that can't sustain it can't remove the chaos from it now this is just a thought I had because I've really been working on the tree thing in the garden and I have not been completely settled in what I've thought about it but it occurred to me, if you consider the two trees, that they are, in essence, a representation of God. And they're literally, God is not himself in the garden area until he comes in later when Adam and Eve have sinned. But his residence is, if you, let me back up for, so I don't confuse everyone. Because I've talked about this several times. Eden is the temple. And Eden had, every temple was a, a tripartite structure, and Eden was the same way. So Eden was the inner sanctum. The garden was the place, what we call the holy place where the priests served, and this is where Adam would serve and, and cultivate. And then the space outside would be the field. So we have that tripartite structure. Now, outside the field, we would have the seas where the nations live. And so in the garden, God... He didn't have his physical essence in the garden, if you will. He 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 dwelt in Eden on top of the mountain in the, the space outside of time. So he had two representations of himself, the trees, in the garden. 
And I think, this is just my opinion, that the tree, one represented the male aspect and the other the female because God was quite clear that he made Adam in his image male and female. So that essence of who God was. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil represented God's perfect justice. The tree of life, obviously life. Now, <clears throat> Adam ate from the tree. The tree was a representation of God. It was the image of God, if you will. And to eat... Uh, in the ancient world meant, in an essence, you were making a covenant with something. <laughs> now, this could never be a parity covenant. It's, we don't have a parity covenant. It's not a covenant of equals between God and us. It's a covenant between the king and the son, or the, the king and his subject, or father and son. And I, I'm wondering if him not taking and eating was, a way, it was the way that he wanted to make himself co-equal with God. you see what I'm saying? No. Okay, so uh, wait, he, well, let me just, he is the subject. Him not eating, you said him not eating. No, I meant him eating. Him, right, and I'm okay. using him That's instead of me. That's him me. Okay. taking and eating, this is covenant language of an agreement. And, and whenever you ate, it was speaking of some kind of covenant that was being established. Like covenants are no lightweight things. Again, the covenant between God and us is not an equal. Uh, we're not co-equals. <laughs> he rules over us. But it was an effort by Adam, I think, to make himself equal to God, to share in that covenant meal, if you will, to make himself as if he were God. So, uh, well, was that an innocent or was that a defiant gesture? If we were to speculate that being the case. Well, I think it's, personally, I think it's a defiant um, action because he's allowed the the serpent, if he's to guard the garden. There's a desecration that takes yeah, place. Yes, yeah. I agree. And so in he is choosing, in essence, to allow the serpent to rule over him, <laughs> you know, instead of God, in an effort to be equal with God. I don't know. I, I mean, this wow. is, these are just the thoughts of my own mind. I wanna, but he wanted a co-regency, I guess is what I want to say. And, and there's a lot of information about co-regencies. We're assuming that a lot of the listeners are kind of tapped into some of this stuff. But in essence, he stole, too. Pastor Mark Biltz has said that in essence, in his defiance, he took something that didn't belong to him. Right. And so he was asserting a sort of belligerence even to not only defy the order but to take it as for himself right but yeah eve gave it to him according to the scriptures right she she took an eat but then she gave to him and he took an eat in her an presence ate. and in the presence of hasatan yeah yeah I mean, See, you know, you know, that's why I think the whole issue of Yom Kippur is relevant here because what caused the desecration? There's a lot of layers of things going on here. Yeah, uh, absolutely. To the pattern, I don't want to lose you here, but if my suggestion, and I can't prove this because it's theory, it was a Yom Kippur, Yom Kippur event. It was the one time that Adam could be in the presence of God Almighty, and he had Satan and his wife there, and they're defying him. Yeah, and a lot of people do think that that event took place at Yom Kippur. Okay. You know, um, 
<clears throat> so we have, you know, elements of covering atonement and stuff right. like that. All so of that was right there. That's exactly yeah, right. Okay. It's entirely possible. I mean, obviously we can never prove that, but it, de right. it definitely bears uh, consideration. So Adam, you know, <clears throat> is supposed to be the one to subdue and rule the earth and the one who was to maintain creation and bring order and stability. And, of course, this defiant act of trying to make himself equal with God um, causes creation basically to begin to uh, become corrupted. And yes. so it, so you can't really separate creation from the temple, from Adam. These are in an essence all synonymous terms. And so as creation begins to be corrupted, so does Adam who is a temple. Adam's also a temple picture. And we know that because the second Adam says he is the temple. Uh, destroy this temple in three days, I'll raise it up. So he's quite clear. So the temple, again, was that place that connected heaven and earth. And so in Adam, heaven and earth were supposed to be connected. And so he is also a picture of, the, of, of, the, of, of creation, of the temple, etc., etc., and so now, instead of subduing and ruling and expanding the kingdom, he has now not only corrupted creation, but himself. And, and the so image is one of corruption. Exactly. The image of this begins the image of God being corrupted in the earth. Now, in, in my opinion, um, Adam leaves the garden and enters into the, the, the sphere, the world outside the garden, which we call the field. And the first thing he does, and this would be according to the plan of God, he constructs an altar. So the altar becomes the mechanism whereby he can approach God, he can draw near, that the, the, the bloodshed of an animal, not as a substitutionary thing or to appease a, 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 an angry God, but to cleanse an altar like our heart so that he could approach God once again. But he could that, never. Go that's ahead. really important because, you know, we have been taught that the, you know, the sacrifice was all about sin, but it was really about being cleansed in order to be in the presence of Elohim. Yeah. That's that's so important. We've had two thousand years of a different teaching, but the idea was to be in the presence of God, and to, you know, when they used to put their hands on the animal. It was to transfer what was ungodly, the profane of being out in the field, in the nations, yes. so that you could be in the place, in the place of a perfection with the Father. And so I want to just kind of make that little caveat there. Yeah. Go ahead, please no, that's good because, you know, the, the, the covenant was broken. There was a breach or a hole in the covenant, and it had to be restored. And so the altar was the place where blood was shed in which you right. could restore that hole or that where it was repaired it was repaired through cleansing uh, the cleansing through the blood well, we and that see was that during healing Messiah. and restoration yeah yeah absolutely we see, that, I mean it's the same picture he's nailed to the doorpost of the house and his blood is shed and now everyone who accepts that cleansing has can enter into the dwelling place of the father that's a perfect picture of what the sacrifice was all about yeah, yeah, we've got kind of a warped view of the of the sacrifices. Yeah, so you know? I don't want to get too far off where you're going tonight. So no, so now we know he's basically uh, chosen to worship, if you will, the be the serpent, the, who is the beast of the field, 
right. instead of God. And so now he's sent out into the field as if he were a beast. His nature is now beast-like instead of image-bearing of, of God. Um, so this, this is actually from Walton. So because when we think of image-bearing, we unfortunately go to the place like we look like that. I mean, who knows what God looks like, but we're, we, we look at physical characteristics. And it doesn't have anything to do with that. And this is a quote from, from Walton. And he says, those aspects of the king's features or appearance that had been molded by the gods and that resembled the gods such that rulers, the ruler's features convey qualities of ideal, divinely sanctioned rulership, not just personhood. So this is this image bearing goes back to, of the king goes back to the, the 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 divinely sanctioned rulership. That's so key. This is all about rulership and dominion over the earth, which Adam gave to the serpent, and now his nature becomes that of the serpent instead of God. I've been saying this for thirty years. Yeah, and uh, his nature is beast-like. Yes, depraved. It's chaos. It's profane. It is the very reason the Messiah died all those years later, 1,500 years later, so that we could be new creation. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, I'm, I'm looking at the time here. We'll this will probably be a two-parter, the way this is going. So Adam is supposed to subdue the beast, but instead he gives over his authority to the beast, to the right. serpent. And this begins the whole process of, of we are now uh, doing battle, really, with the image of God being corrupted in this earth. I mean, this is really what it's Excellent. all about. Yeah. Ground zero. And everything that Israel does keeps bringing more you know, con corruption to the image of God. They are not... Um, they are not in the image of God. So the, the serpent, although you know he's this sort of chaos creature in the beginning, in time he comes to represent uh, the kings and then the rulers. We've talked about this before, who oppress and who enslave, especially the kings and rulers that oppress Israel. It's really a metaphor for the, the kings of the nations that cause chaos. There's no stability. There's no order. Everything is you know in this state of flux. Um, kings were responsible for political and social order. I know we don't like to talk about that, but they were. And so now, with the kings and the rulers of this world, and that's the pharaohs and the kings of Assyria and the Caesars and the Hitlers and blah, blah, everything's about chaos and disorder, and that is the fruit of all that is war and pestilence and social and political upheaval. And uh, robbing, you know, not, stealing, and killing. Yeah, all of that. I mean, that is the order of the serpent and the beast, and that's what we see basically out, <laughs> out there. Unless, of course, you approach the altar to be regenerated. You know, then that corrupt image begins, you know, changes into a new creation. Now, it can't become a completely new creation until Yeshua's work is done with his death, his burial, and his, re his resurrection. And, you know, people sort of confuse things today. I, I know that you, you're probably familiar with the Cloward and Piven strategy. This goes back yes, to the Yes, very 70s. much so. Yeah. And I'm so, very, very familiar with it. Right. I mean, we really are seeing that 
uh, it's nothing new. It's always been there. Um, you know, we're sort of the one of the. We've lived in a nation, the freest nation on the planet, bar none, since the beginning of time. Pe most people have never been free, so they have lived under this kind of oppression every generation, thousands of years under every king. No one's had it like we've had. So that cloud and pivot thing was that sort of pressure pushing down from the top and the pressure pushing up from the side and in to cause everything to explode. To overload it. I mean, yeah. this is the chaos. hallmark, and I've written about this many, many times, and I'm going to go back to the political arena. This is the hallmark of the Obama administration was to explode the well, ability for freedom to work. Yeah. And this, again, is what... Pharaoh did. This is yep. what Ahab did. Just go down the line. This is what uh, the Assyrians did, the Persians did. This is what uh, Talmud and Semiramis, and, or not Tammuz, what was his name? They uh, built the Tower Marduk? of Babel. Oh, Nimrod? Yeah, this is what they did. did. They yeah. Oppress the people in order for them to be worshipped, to be self-grandized. And that is the nature of the beast. Of and Adam. So, yeah. Yep. I, what's what? You know, I just want to caution people because, especially all our prophecy fanatics. You know, they're trying to like find <laughs> Get your the beast. prophecies from YouTube. <laughs> <laughs> they're trying to find the beast, but the nature of the beast goes back to the serpent, and it goes back to the, you know, the corrupt flesh of Adam, and it, and it always. The, the concept of the beast always is related to ki kingship, you know, corrupt kingship. And so there's nothing new here. And I think people have got to stop, you know, Caesar was the beast in his day, and we've had beasts upon beasts, but they all do the same thing. And that is what's so incredible about Yeshua coming at his time. When every kind of evil, wicked tyrant, dictator, from the temple to Caesar to everything converging at the same yep. point in history. And who does he come for? The downtrodden and the lowly and the you know, marginalized and the oppressed and the enslaved. That was the nature of the kingdom. It was so 180 well, degrees out of phase with reality. The nature of the character of the king, which is what you're talking about, the image bearer Right. He, what did he do? He went to just the opposite that those people had been relegated to. He brought order, compassion, life, loyalty, love, long-suffering, all of these things that govern the kingdom of God and the reason of creation and the image that Adam was to shoulder, he represented. And... Uh, here we are now. I mean, I go. I had this conversation about racism. Racism is another reality of a pharaoh type personality. Bigotry, the oppression of women. These are all things that Adam accepted for all of us. Beast nature, for sure. Yeah. And that's why you know Adam was essentially the first king. And now this king has been corrupted. So a second king, well, actually we have the whole line of the kings, but that's for another story. Uh, Revelation 5 is, is important because it tells us that we are a kingdom of priests 
who will rule and reign over the earth. And so that is the job of the king, to rule and reign and govern on behalf of the one who installed him. And so when we read about in 1 Corinthians 3.9 that we are God's co-workers helping to build the kingdom and expand it to the four corners of the earth, a kingdom that is a temple and a house. We're to labor to build that house and to spread the kingdom through the image, our image. And, you know, I'm going to have to talk about this more next week, but well, we're the only yeah. image the world has to show. Folks, we, you're going to have to stay with us because we're going to pick this up a, not actually next week, but the week oh, after right. because Sorry. we do have Dr. Chris Green on. And uh, But I want to read a scripture as we close the show out tonight. Dina brought it up. Uh, prior to the show of 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 3, says, For we have spent, now remember when this was written, and the culture, and the time, and the situation, and the circumstances, because they were here again. We're, we're actually here again. Peter writes, uh, For we have spent enough of our past lifetime in doing the desire of the nations, having walked in indecencies, lusts, drunkenness, orgies, wild parties, and abominable, abominable idolatries, in which they are surprised that you do not run with them in the same flood or loose behavior, blaspheming. Folks, that's what we're dealing with. The nations are wondering why people like you and I aren't enjoying the fruits of that spirit. It's because we're new creation. Amen. We've accepted the Torah, we're grafted into Israel as a result of the gospel, and we're returning to Eden. Dr. Dye, that's the end of our week today, so... Well, we'll pick this up. Um, this is an very important. important topic, and we're going to go into it in more detail in two weeks. So, folks, stay tuned for Dr. Chris Green next week. It's an hour-long show. It's going to be very informative, and then... We're going to keep talking about this image bearer mm -hmm. uh, yeah. because that's the restoration that yeah, we're we talking about. Yeah, we barely scratched the surface here. Yeah. This is like just a little tiny opening here. Well, this is Jeff and Dina. Dina's feeling a lot better, and uh, we'll see you guys okay. next week. Blessings to all of you. Shalom, shalom. Shalom. Bye-bye.